Well, good morning, brothers. It's good to be here with you. It's a real honor to stand here before you and have a chance to talk to you this morning. Brian's kind of has already told my story because I was I was a lawyer and I repented. Then I was a pastor and I really repented. And now I work with people in government. So I don't, we'll see where that goes. Uh, so that's the short version. Uh, so this is how I'll structure my time with you this morning. I'll tell you about myself, which will really lead right into ministry to state, because really there's a sense in which it makes sense, I think, that I'm here. And then if we have time, we'll talk about that very non-controversial subject, the, the relationship between church and government, because no one has opinions about that. No one really cares a lot about that. So whatever I say, you'll just agree with, right? So anyway, so that's how we'll, we'll go. Um, so I was born in Egypt. Uh, first six years of my life, I lived in Alexandria, Egypt, right on the Mediterranean uh, Sea. Uh, and then when I was six, my family moved to the, to the UK. And that was pretty, that was, you can imagine, that was a pretty intense transition for a six-year-old boy to go from Alexandria, Egypt, to go to the United Kingdom. And there's a whole bunch of stories. That, I guess I'll give you the medium-length version of, of my life, not the very short version, not the longer version. But we were in the UK for, for three years. And then we were, I was nine years old when my family came to the United States. So I grew up in a, a and, and uh, so we, and then we actually ended up settling in, in New York City. We were in Staten Island for a couple of years and then Manhattan for a couple of years. Then we moved out here to New Jersey when I was 14 years old, moved out here to Bergen, Bergen County. I grew up in a Christian home. However, I had no contact or familiarity with the American Protestant Evangelical Church growing up. None. I had no awareness of it. My family was Protestant slash Presbyterian by background. Uh, but when, when we came, for various reasons, we went to the, uh, the Coptic Orthodox Church in Brooklyn, New York. I don't know if you have any familiarity with that. There are actually, there's like 20-something Coptic Orthodox churches in New Jersey. And they're all pretty sizable actually. Uh, and there are a couple near here. There's one in Oakland. There's one in Washington Township. Anyway, there was family reasons, cultural reasons. Honestly, one of the reasons was, and one of them, we didn't have a car at first, so we went with my uncle's family. But one of them was my, my dad went to a midweek meeting of a Presbyterian church. This is in the late 70s. And even at that time, they were talking about ordaining those who were in same-sex relationships. He's like, well, that's not Christian. So he's like, so he, although he wasn't Orthodox himself, he felt like he wanted he wanted his family someplace that he felt, you know, he could trust. Anyway, so by the time I went away to college, I had no faith at all. Or I put it to you this way: I had no God consciousness. The fact that I was created by a creator and that my life belonged to him had no, there was no awareness of that at all in my life. Zero. It was just gone. And so while I was away in college, and again, if I, if, I, if I awakened in my family's home, I had no problem going to church. I wasn't mad at anybody. But while I was away at college in four years, I did not go to church once. When I went to law school. I went to church twice during those three years. One was uh, on the invitation of a, of a friend, a classmate. I remember going to, I think it was a Methodist church in Bethesda, Maryland. All I remember about that experience was that the pastor had a pained look on his face while he was speaking. I think he was wearing white robes. That's the only memory I have of that. And then the second time 
was shortly before graduation, I woke up on, an East, on Easter Sunday. I said, you know what? We should go to church. You know, it's Easter. Let's go. And so we went to, and if you're familiar with D.C. at all, some of you might be, went to a church on Chevy Chase Circle, the border between D.C. and Maryland. It was an Episcopal church. And I remember the rector talking about spring and new beginnings, something vague. And I was like, I don't think this is it. Um, anyway, so that was my experience of church. And then after law school, I, I moved back home. I came back to New Jersey. And by that point in time, my family was attending Hawthorne Gospel Church. And so again, if I woke up uh, on Sunday morning at home, you know, and oftentimes I was elsewhere, we would go to church. I had no problems again, but it was completely indifferent church attendance for a couple of years. And then the Lord began, I would say, to simply awaken me because I started to started to prick on me. First of all, just going there, I guess, kind of wears on you after a while, you know, you just kind of hear the same thing. And, and, but the, I started to care about, well, why are we here? What's the point? Why do we exist? Where do we come from? And where are we going? And if there's a God, that's a really big deal. Like if God is real, that can't be unimportant, right? I can't, like, you can't, I can't be casual or indifferent about that. And so my, my soul just sort of started to churn and to kind of, to kind of I, I started to care. And honestly, an important person in my life at the time was sitting right here to, to my left was Fred Provenger. Now, Fred had been the, uh, the youth pastor for my brother and my cousins. I was beyond youth group at this point. I'm in my mid-20s. But he was the person I kind of was, if I had a pastor, then Fred was it. Now, the fact that Fred was a Red Sox fan was obviously a problem. It made him suspect in terms of sort of just character and just kind of, it was questionable. But at the same time, he was, he was, he was the guy. And so, so, so Fred was the person. So we actually went, to, I remember this was a, Fred, when in August 1994, there was a youth outing to a Yankees-Red Sox game. And I was invited somehow. And Fred sat next to me. I thought he wanted to talk baseball. I realize now why he sat next to me. This guy you know, needs help. And so I'll tell him, you know, I'll talk to him. And when I had, and then when the Lord started to work on my heart, Fred was the person I went to for questions. Remember, we had a lunch for like a couple of hours. And he just sort of put up with all of my whatever I had to say. So the Lord used Fred. And at this point, um, I am, I, I'm pursuing. You know, I'm being pursued. And at this point, somebody gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And it was just, I ate the book. Because the things I cared about was, first of all, I cared about what was true. Is this true? I cared about what was true. And is it reasonable? Does it make sense? Because I didn't want to, I didn't, I just couldn't accept what, what in my mind didn't make sense. Now, the fact that I didn't have the baggage of some, you know, I didn't have the baggage of, of the cultural baggage of, of Christians or, or this, or they don't, they're unthinking, they're unscientific. I didn't have any of that. Like that sort of those stereotypes didn't exist. Honestly, my family was, was overwhelmingly Christian and they were honestly some of the smartest people that I knew. <laughs> so, but at the same time for myself, I still needed to, have that assurance. And Lewis just hit that sweet spot. And so I ate the book, and I think I became a C.S. Lewis evangelist 
before an evangelist for Jesus. I was like, you got to read this book. Just check it out. This is amazing. And so on. And so for a couple of weeks, I don't know where I was spiritually. Um, because what, Lewis didn't make me Christian. Lewis removed the obstacles to Christ. He just sort of, now, now Jesus was just there. Right? And I, again, all of the, the baggage, all the questions, whatever, the, ops, the obstacles to Jesus, the barriers, the questions that, that and so, all our, so we have this tradition in our family, in our extended family, a big extended family. We gather for brunch on Sundays. At, it was at that time either um, it was my, my parents' home or my aunt and uncle's home, and they would sort of switch every other Sunday. So this Sunday is at my uncle and aunt's house. And I just remember, this is, this is in January of 1996. I remember sitting there, and suddenly I felt that I don't know that I was alone in the room, but I felt that I was just, just sort of me. And it dawned on me that I believed. It just, I was, Jesus was Lord, and God raised him from the dead, and that's the truth about everything. And I remember thinking, I can see, I can see. So this is what the world looks like. And I was flooded with this joy, this peace that did not come from within, had nothing to do with what was going on around me. And the thing that I had been seeking had found me and claimed me and made me his own. And it was just, and I'll never get over it. Because I know what had, I knew in that moment what had taken place. And I felt sane. Maybe for the first time since I was a child, I felt sane. I real, like I'd been in, like I'd, I'd been irrational out of my mind, just, just doing whatever, thinking that I was in charge, thinking that I was smart, really just being a sheep doing what everybody else did. And the other thing was, that was interesting was I'd go out drinking on Fridays in the city. It was just the thing that we did. And again, I liked my friends. I didn't, I wasn't like, you know, out of control, drunk, you know, or whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic, but, but we would go out to drink, we'd get drunk. And so, I'm, you know, and that was just, that was kind of what we would do. And I remember that following, this was a Sunday afternoon, the following Friday, I just remember the joy of making the, of being able to make the decision to stay home, read a book, and go to bed at a reasonable time. And it wasn't that, you know, I didn't get it. It wasn't like I never went out with my friends again or whatever, but it was the freedom to make that choice. I, I was free not to go out drinking. I was free to just do this. And it was, and so, and for a couple of weeks, or actually for a while after that, this happened on several occasions, people would see me and say, what happened to you? You look different. I said, well, it's interesting. You should ask. Let me tell you a story. Right. Let me tell you about this one who, who I've met, who I know, who has claimed me and made me, and made me his own. And so, and so, this, was, so this, this is sort of the beginning now of, of life with Jesus. And now I'm telling you, so again, there's, this is the medium length version. So I'll sort of have to sort of speed up at this point. Let me see what time it is. Okay. Um, so later that year, I get, I get engaged. There was a whole story there. We get married the, married the following year, moved to Maryland where I, I work as an attorney. 
um, and, and then come back to New Jersey a couple of years later after our first child. And then at this point, we're going to Cornerstone. So we began in late 99 into the mid 2000s. And, um, uh, and so, but I have, I'm starting to feel a sense of the call to ministry and I couldn't shake it. And at some point it became a very strong persuasion that this is what I had to do, go to seminary. And there were a couple of things as an attorney that kind of moved me in that direction. One was I did criminal defense work. It was interesting, people ask, as, you know, as a Christian, I get all the questions uh, you know, about that. But for, just briefly, the, the attorney's job in a criminal case is simply to make it a fair fight. The state has its, all of its resources, all of its power to come and accuse this person, and maybe so. And the lawyer's job is to simply say, okay, what do you got? What's your evidence? If, for our system to work well, the defense attorney must do, do his job well. And this was an area of law, actually, I like to practice. It was the one area that kind of I, I enjoyed. But it became sort of a ministry to me. I would go to the jail, sit with my clients, uh, talk to them. They'd be like, my friend wants to talk to you. And they'd be like, okay, fine. And I would sit there and just do that. And that kind of became a ministry. So that kind of worked on my heart. The other thing was I worked in, the last job I had as a full-time as a lawyer was in Newark. And there was a half a block walk between the, where I parked my car and City Hall, because I worked for the city uh, in, their, in their attorney's office. Um, and I would just see distress, human suffering, mental illness, drug addiction, you know, homelessness, and that walk. And so, you know, you walk by people every day, then you have, well, at least for, I, I felt that I had to engage them. <laughs> talk to people, you know, maybe take them out to lunch, uh, just sort of just engaged, sort of became a, a path of ministry. And th that worked on me as well. And so with three kids in my mid-30s, we moved down to uh, Glenside, PA, just outside Philadelphia for, for me to go to Westminster full time. So uh, we picked up a fourth child along the way uh, while we were in seminary. A few years later, we've had, we have had our fifth. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, my oldest graduated college and our youngest finished kindergarten. <laughs> 2021. Uh, so out of seminary, I did uh, two years of church-based campus ministry. And that, that was in Western PA. Never didn't sort of, that was moving out to sort of a different part of the country. I'm glad I had that experience, to be honest, uh, because as a Northeasterner, um, and I certainly had stereotypes about the area between the coasts, let's say. Uh, and I even had some concerns about going out there, uh, given my ethnicity. But it was a wonderful two years. And I'm so glad I had that experience for myself, for our family. It was nice to live in a small town. We walked everywhere. It was great. But anyway, after two years, called back here and, and served seven years as associate pastor of All Souls Community Church, which is in Suffern. And then three years, most recently, with a church called Restore Fellowship, which is in Oakland, which is actually the English ministry congregation of a Korean church. Uh, and that was a wonderful experience in, in many respects. And I'm obviously being a pastor, then suddenly I'm the pastor, which means I have the experience of preaching every Sunday. Maybe I could teach you some stuff about that. I don't know if you're familiar with that, you know. Um, and, and so my ministry there concluded at the end of 2020, not for any bad reasons, to be honest, one 2020, you know, 2020, right, COVID, 
It was actually a very good year of ministry. Uh, but being there was, was a little bit challenging for my family. I'm a, I'm a pastor, I have my place there, but it was a little bit challenging for my family. And we also kind of ran out of money for me uh, uh, by, the end, by the end of the year. But it, honestly, it was a very good conclusion. I still have my office there. I still preach for them sometimes. But during 2020, I became involved in state and local government because I was concerned about what was happening in our schools. And so I went to Trenton, I attended hearings, I spoke, I ended up running for school board uh, just to highlight these issues. But at the same time, like I was obviously interested in this. I was pursuing it. it. It seemed like it was also pursuing me because all of these opportunities kept coming my way, these connections. So I had a chance to meet with the commissioner of education. I met with an assemblyman. I testified before a Senate committee. All of these were by invitation. My, my, my wife and I, I was like, is God preparing me for something? Is he preparing me to enter into this realm? Because it seems like it, but I don't know. I'm not a mind reader of the Lord. I'm, who knows? And so now it's February of 2021. What, what's the next thing that I'm going to do? What's the next call? So my wife and, and I, we fasted and prayed for three days. The next day, I became aware of ministry to state. And it certainly seemed like an answer to prayer because I, I read the job description and I show it to my wife. She's like, this is you. I'm like, yeah, this is me. And so that began a six-week conversation with Ministry to State. It culminated with the founder and director uh, taking the train up from D.C. to Penn Station in New York. We met outside at a restaurant outside Penn Station for four hours. And at the end of it, he said, John, you'd be hard-pressed to convince a jury why you shouldn't take this call. I'm like, you're right. I think I, I accept. I believe this is God's call. And really, that's why I accepted it. And so Ministry of State, as, as Brian uh, mentioned, is a ministry to people in government. Now, it has a little bit of a background. It's actually founded out of the Oklahoma City bombing. There was a pastor in Oklahoma City who out of that began a Bible study and prayer group in the state capitol. And it just, it just exploded began in a little conference room, was had to be moved to a, a much larger conference room. The governor started attending. And from that experience, after a number of years, uh, the founder's name is Chuck Garriott. He felt a burden for people in government. So he moved his family to Washington, D.C. He'd been a pastor for 20 years in Oklahoma City, four kids. I mean, everything was just the way it, it was good. But he moved his family to D.C. and began what became ministry to state. And so we, we, were in, we were in D.C. For, uh, from like the mid-2000s, 03, 04, to 2014. We're still there, of course. We have a team there. But in the middle of last decade, moved out to, branched out to a number of states. Montana was the first one. Since then, Pennsylvania, Colorado, Florida, uh, North Carolina, um, and, and now New Jersey. And so... By I'm sent. It is it is a church. It is actually a mission organization. There's not some people, it's not a state. We have no. So I'm I don't work for the government. This is a mission. This is under a this is under a mission agency called Mission to North America, which is actually one of the mission arms of the Presbyterian Church in America. And so I'm sent from to to government in New Jersey. So how do I do my what is my job? And I'm still trying to figure it out. 
right? Because what I do is I, I show, basically it's a show up job. Like almost like a lot of missionary calls, you just go. You go and you show up where the people are. Well, the people are is in Trenton, in the state capital. And so when they gather, I show up. And I walk in, now you may have noticed in my the stuff about me, I do wear a clerical collar because that is uh, a great help. It gives me a place. I'm not a lobbyist. I'm not, they, it tells people why I'm there, number one. So it gives me, and I believe it's really been a tremendous benefit. Maybe some people throw them off. You know, a lot of people think I'm a Catholic priest, which is fine. Hello, Father. Good morning. Um, and it also, though, really gives me a place with, with the people who work there. Security, uh, the security guards, the sergeant at arms, they have embraced me and they kind of make my life much easier. You know, I pray with some of them. Some, there are a couple of people who I pray with every time I see them. One of the security guards and one of the sergeants at arms at, at the assembly. And I've had lunch with a number of people. So, so there, it's, it's a great asset. So I show up and I simply try to introduce myself to people before, beforehand, which is a little harder, and then afterwards, after they, they meet, and I attend the legislative session. And what has been remarkable to me on some level is there's been a receptivity. People are receptive because they're not used to being addressed in this way. And so the first time I met with a senator, he set aside half an hour to meet. We were, I was in his office for 90 minutes. We concluded the time with, I always, I always offer to conclude the time with prayer and scripture. I've been, I've been, you know, sort of denied once. Somebody said, thanks, but no thanks. But otherwise, every other time. And at the end of the meeting, I say, after prayer and scripture, I say, if you give me your cell phone number, this is how I will use it. I will guard it. I will send you encouragement and prayer and scripture. All but two have accepted that. So I have 20 something, I, you know, I send out texts every week, about 20 something members of our legislature, uh, prayer and scripture. Um, and so the Lord, and there's just, and, the, and so it's just been, there's been this openness. I think the Lord has allowed, so there was, it's, um, there were a couple of very contentious sessions of our legislature late last year on the assembly side where things got personal. There's an animosity and mutual accusations. Um, and so after one of them, I went up and introduced myself to the majority leader. And he was, and he's like, can you talk right now? He was mad. He's like, look, I can talk to you. I'll tell you what, I'll unleash on you my, you know, my anger. And so I sat with him and he told me why he was upset. And he had, he had some points to make. He was a little overwrought, I would say, but some of it was legitimate. Um, and then, but then I ended up being in his office for an hour. He told me a story about how, how he served, you know, and, and again, concluded the time with prayer and scripture. And then from that, ended up, me, editing, ended up meeting with the speaker of the assembly, very friendly meeting in his office. And so then to my surprise, I didn't expect, so he's like, I'm gonna put you on the list to do the invocation for the assembly. I'm like, great, thank you. Well, that'd be a real honor. I got a call from his office early in January to do the closing prayer for the governor's state of the state address, which I did in January, which was obviously an amazing opportunity. This is the largest, the most significant gathering of government in New Jersey every year. And this was the first one in person in three years. And so I closed in prayer and it was unabashedly Christian. Um, I prayed like I would pray here. 
because I don't, if I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray to God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from that, since then, the opportunities have increased substantially. I've, I'm regularly meeting with two, three people every week, either in person or, or, by, or by Zoom. And I'm meeting with uh, young staffers as well. Chiefs, I mean, because, you know, chief, chiefs of staff, making connections with them. I had a two-hour meeting with the chief of staff just a couple of, of weeks ago uh, where, you know, about real stuff, about real life, about suffering and the cross. And, and he's got, like, he was interested. He's, a, he's the one who kept the conversation going, although he doesn't really know much of anything. And so, you know, I don't want to make it, like, this is... It's a challenging job. I don't want to make it seem as if sort of our government is being converted or anything like that. But what's happened in the in the year plus since, you know, I accepted the call because I believed it was from God. Well, I, one of the reasons I accepted, I said, if I don't accept this, no one else was. It wasn't that I was the only one who could do it. I was the only one who was there to kind of be a candidate. And I felt a responsibility to kind of like at least give this a try. I'm curious to see what the Lord, what the Lord does. Um, and so I'm just encouraged. I do welcome your prayers in that in that regard uh, for it. So there's on the table over here, there's a sign up sheet for you can get the email. Uh, that's how I'll use if you give me your email, you will simply get the newsletter for the ministry simply being updated. I send it honestly every couple of months. I, so it's not a lot. Uh, just um, maybe if things really start to really ramp up, maybe it'll be more frequent. So if that happens, I guess that would be a good thing. But that's what, you know, if you sign up, then you'll get the newsletter. There's information about Ministry to State. There's a prayer card, and there's my business card over on the table over here. So please feel free to avail yourself of those. So I figured uh, since um, I'm here, try to use, our, you know, um, how much time do I have? About, about five minutes. Okay. Um, Church and state. Right. So if you get 20 Christians in a room to talk about church and state, you will get 20 different opinions. 20 different, I mean, people who are completely biblically and theologically aligned almost on everything on this subject will disagree. Or have a, just some, you know, sometimes in a nuanced way, sometimes not so nuanced. And so, and what's interesting is, is that if you look at the scriptures, I mean, there's rulers and people in authority all over it. They're like everywhere. I mean, a lot of it, of course, is the kings of Israel. But beyond that, the people of God relating to those who are in authority, who are not of the people of God, is also throughout the scripture. I mean, you have Joseph, you have you know, and Pharaoh. Good relationship. Moses and Pharaoh, not so good relationship. You know, you've got you've got Daniel, you've got Esther, uh, you've got Jesus, <laughs> you've got the apostles. I mean, it's a thread. It just runs runs right. So you have a lot, but most almost all of it is what you would call descriptive, from which you can draw some conclusions. And cer certainly, you can. We use obviously we use narratives to preach and make points. So it's not it's not illegitimate. But again, it's descriptive. There's not a lot that's prescriptive. This is how you do it. And, that's, and so that's one of the things that, that makes it, that makes it ch challenging. And so the fact of the matter is, again, if you talk, you know, you're just going to get differences of opinion. I think there is a range of faithful approaches to this issue. 
I just think there is. There, 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 there simply are. <laughs> At the same time, I also believe that faithful Christians, just as in every area of life, can be wrong on this. But it doesn't mean they're not believers. It just means that they're wrong. Because we're, we're wrong about a whole lot of, you know, I get up every day, I wake up wrong on some level, right? It's like, what am I going to do the wrong today, right? And so the fact that I can be wrong in this area doesn't mean that I don't belong to Christ. And I, I may make, make, make some bit, and I may, I may, in my job, I may be too aggressive or I may be too passive. I may be too, too, oh, you know, like, I don't want to mess upset anybody. Or I may be like, come on, man, like, get, get with the program. And so I'm sure that I have done and said things that were, you know, maybe wrong in, in, in what I'm doing. It's just, I'm, I'm not going to get it right. I'm going to learn through my mistakes. So that being said, I'm just going to sort of, um, with the very little time that I have remaining, I will talk about one, there are a lot of things we could talk about, but one of the things I want to say is this, is that with respect to the issue of church and state, there is a difference between laws that are narrowly Christian or uniquely Christian. Like, I don't know, I mean, we don't have such things. Like, we don't have compulsory church tents. We don't make people get baptized, right? And laws that are consistent with scripture and they're taught in the scriptures, but are broadly applicable to the, to, to the population on the whole. That can be, act, so Romans 2 says, the, the written law of God is also written on the hearts of those who don't have the written law, right? And that, that comes through their conscience and their sense of right and wrong that comes from being image bearers of God. So human beings are generally accountable for having a sense of right and wrong. So obviously the fact that the 10 commandments forbid murder and theft Right. There it is. It's in writing. It's not the imposition of, a, of the Bible or a Christian, you know, nationalist view on, on society. No, these are laws of, of justice that God has woven into the fabric of creation. And I do believe in our current setting with some of the hot stuff, I believe, you know, the, the humanity of, of, of a human being before birth is something that is accessible to people, generally speaking even though it's consistent with scripture, and it's something that as technology has advanced, actually, we are more accountable for knowing. The, the, the joining together of man and woman in marriage is a, is a gift that God gives to all of creation that has existed throughout human civilization, that is consistent. So these perspectives are consistent with a just and humane society. They're not the imposition. Now, the fact of the matter is we understand that they are, they are, these are challenged. What everything that I've just said, people contend, get upset about, get hot about, that makes it challenging. That makes it, we, we, you know, that causes, that causes us to, to pray and to seek wisdom and engaging it, but it's not the imposition of a biblical, you know, of, 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 a, of, a, of a Christian, of, of just a Christianity on people who, who, who are not Christian. It's simply perspective that brings a just perspective and what we believe is a truly human perspective on society. Anyway, so that's just, I wanted to kind of put that out there. Obviously there's a lot of questions. So should I take questions, Matt?